song. All three stanzas, I serve a risen Savior. Savior. Today we come to worship you, and I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to worship you in song, in preaching, and in fellowshipping, Lord, that your name be honored and be glorified, and pray that you would help us, Lord, to be attentive to your word, and help us, Lord, to learn something from the message, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, have a seat. We want to give out the baptismal certificates for those who are baptized yesterday. So when I call your name, would you quickly come to the front? After the certificates is given out, then the Chinese church will go to have their service right after that, all right? So uh, I already gave my brother Joe's his certificate, and so he had to leave. And so when I call your name, please come quickly. Uh, Caleb Hudson Ching. Caleb Hudson. Caleb Hudson. Caleb Hudson. Stay right here. Stay right here. Stay right here. Uh, keep this nicely. Hold it. Okay. All right. Uh, Matthew Lewis Ching. Matthew Lewis Ching. And right here, Matthew. Okay. Face this way. Face, face the front. Turn around. Right here. Now, don't cover your face. All right. And then uh, Kayla Lim. Kayla, uh, Gia Lim, and then uh, Keith, Brother Keith. very comfortable yesterday and Nathan and I were baptizing uh, Keith we were reminded that not long ago he was 40 to 50 pounds heavier and had he had that weight it would have been difficult to bring you back up we almost <laughs> lost him in the ocean <laughs> brother Keith there you go brother now uh, we had a baptism a while ago and because of work and because she was off island, uh, she was not able to get her baptism certificate. We made one for her, and I hate to embarrass her, but Mari come. <laughs> I understand shy. Here, Mari. Okay, all right, let's give him a good hand. God bless you, congratulations. All right, thank you. Bye, bye. Alright, gonna sing song number 467. Turn to 467. Oh, the switch, there's a change in the song listing. Seven, since I have been redeemed.
475, I'm sorry. 475. So, hey, 32 years, Carmen. Yeah, you know, trip. Say what? Getting old. Getting old, yeah. Triplet has a reputation, you know, about their quality care or lack thereof. And maybe now it's going to get uh, a little bit worse since Carmen has uh, retired. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Congratulations, Carmen. And then um, there's going to be a wedding coming up in October. And I was given permission to say so by the groom-to-be. And so uh, Eric is getting married to Mari. <laughs> and so that's the good news. And so now I have learned since that she's really shy, and so I'm not gonna mention her, but uh, <laughs> she and Eric are getting married, and uh, they both will have a wedding in October, and uh, they're working on the details, and so uh, got a call a couple weeks ago to let me know and talk about things, and so, We've had good discussions, and so it is for sure God's will for them to be married, and so um, that is a great blessing. Amen. Oh, by the way, so remain stands. That's the good news there. Um, 
Uh, what is all this about balloons and crib and basket pretzel? Is that about the, the mothers to be? Is that what it is? You're due very soon. Like in two weeks? No. 33 weeks right now. How many weeks? 33. It's 33 weeks? Oh, okay. So you can Kristen still... is due pretty soon. <laughs> Kristen is due on Thursday. It's a home birth, home delivery. I've heard of Amazon delivering to homes, but this is, this is a little bit more. Um, yes, I joked at the 9.30 service, I'm free that day because uh, I will be away from the house very definitely. So marry tennis, if possible, if you're done with your canoe padding. Uh, I am an op it's open on, on that day to be away. I'm going to come back after everything's done. And uh, and then, of course, yours is not good. You're tripler? Yeah. Oh, traditional way. Okay. Now she's gone. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you know we have some business today, so I, I have you stand because I need I need you to extend the hand of welcome to people, no matter who you are. I've learned this in my life as a Christian. Because I'm shy, I make myself do something that I should do, even though I don't feel like doing it. And so, I, I want you to, for just a minute, not be shy and make, you know what I mean? Um, do that for the sake of others. I have learned that when I do that for the sake of others, I feel good afterwards. But I, I'm not like my daughter. My daughter's very shy. I didn't know until she's a teenager that she's very shy. So, but we both make ourselves do things. Right now, she's not shy where she is in Texas. She's learned to be unshy. And she's the first person to greet a lady that comes to church. If they be a member or a visitor, she's the first one. And she's got a nice big smile. She's so cute, you know, not because my, she's my daughter, but because she's my daughter. But she has a real cute smile. She's very welcoming, you know, and she makes people feel at home. And that's something that we all can do. You all cannot preach. You all cannot teach. You can do different things. But one thing everybody can do is to be nice. You can be nice. You can be nice. Look at me, please. Make nice. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> right, shake hands with someone, uh, greet someone, and then after, have, please have a seat. No mood music, no piano playing, but uh, you know. There's no other music. 
coming up. But also, um, I did not tell you that Kristen's mother is here from Florida. She came in Thursday night uh, to be here for that day. And so she has come more than once for that day. And so uh, she's in the Chinese service. So she's from Jacksonville, Florida. And Debbie Broom is her name. And uh, she's very pleasant. And um, so to be there at that moment <laughs> of life. Actually, life is there already. It's just exposure to this atmosphere, to this environment. So um, I'm glad to see you in church today. Um, I don't know what your week's been like, but usually at church, when we assemble for church, people have had different kind of things going on in their life during the week. And sometimes people drag in because they've had a rough week or not much sleep. And sometimes people had a great week. It's just a lot of different kind of situations in life. So uh, church should be a good time for us to come and assemble together, fellowship together, learn together, sing together, and uh, at least have a good hour or two before Monday begins, you know. So I don't always feel like coming to church, to be honest with you, for a lot of reasons. The main reason, I'm tired of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can I be honest? No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sleep. My sleep's been messed up. Um, Miranda gave me, it might be recorded. You? Uh, she gave me a home remedy she read somewhere online, and you got to watch out for those online things. It's warm water and a pinch of salt. So here's been my problem, getting up too early in the morning. Whatever time I go to bed, I get up early. It varies from 3, 3.15, different times. Rarely do I get up after a whole night of sleep. If I get four hours of sleep, that's really good. Uh, since I've taken that pinch of salt trick, gimmick, whatever it's called, I've had three nights last week of going to bed and wake up when the sun's up. That's been so good. And yeah, would you like to know that secret? You need that recipe? Okay, uh, how much, uh, you know, how much? <laughs> Uh, discount for Sunday. It's okay. Discount for a church member. <laughs> anyway, uh, I had a little glitch a couple of days, and so I got up at 2.30 uh, on uh, Saturday morning, and then early Saturday morning, went back to sleep, got up again at 8 o'clock. So when I get my sleep interrupt like that, I'm very, I'm very tired. And so when it comes to Sunday, I'm always worried that I'll have that same situation, so I'll come to church very cranky. This morning is one of those mornings. I came to church cranky. Uh, no, no. I, my face was cranky. My body is cranky. My attitude is cranky. I picked up Frank. I was cranky at Frank. Yeah, poor Frank. Poor Frank. So I've had a real, I don't know why I'm telling you. I'm very transparent. I had this kind of like not a real good start morning. But once people start coming to church, once we get the coffee going, once we get the, the snacks going, once we get the moving around and things, then all of a sudden, it seems like things change. My attitude changes. I feel better. It really is something good about being in church for me and for hopefully most Christians. Amen. And so um, I make the effort to get up. Um, I'm up too early. And I was tempted to go back to sleep. But then if I did that, I'd be really grouchy to get only half an hour of sleep and then start all over again. It's like not too good. And so anyway, I'm just saying that to tell you that I'm kind of like you except worse. And uh, so when we get to church... Uh, it's, it's healthy for me. It's healthy for me to be around God's people. It is. And you don't have to be perfect for me to enjoy your company. And I don't have to be perfect, have a perfect message to enjoy for you to enjoy being in church. It's all 
part of the mix of, of assembling and fellowshipping together. And that's why Hebrews says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. In Hebrews chapter 10. So, we just obey the Lord and God gives us a blessing. I got a blessing today because I met uh, Brother Eddie and his wife. Talked to him on the phone. He called. He was so nice. I wanted to pick him up, but uh, I, you know, it was better for you to pick him up. And then, uh, so nice to meet this couple from Colorado. Yes. Uh, John Denver country. Yes. yes. And so we're glad to meet you. And then also... Um, who was it? Um, um, uh, Keith's friend. I met her today. And then a couple back here. I have the business card. I just don't have it right. Yes, uh, yes. JR and. Uh, I cannot read Tagalog. Ernalyn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm glad to meet them and the two little kids. And uh, I told her that um, we have a shortage of nursery help. And said, you don't mind sitting in the church with your kids. Just take them outside and throw them on the stairs when they act up. <laughs> I said, we're perfectly fine with that. But, uh, you know, anyway, glad to see them. So that kind of made my day. And then also uh, seeing people who are absent, it makes me feel pretty good today. And then having to give us certificates of baptism, that was a real blessing. Right. It was really good yesterday. It was a good sight to see. And um, it was a blessing for people to follow the Lord in the water of baptism. So that was a good Amen. blessing. All right, it's time for me to open the Bible and for you to open your Bible and come to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, here are some questions. The title for the message today is, what is it, Hugh, that I told you? Great question. A great question and a great answer. That's the title. A great question and a great answer, which leads me to introduce you to the sermon by saying, there are some questions that people ask. Here they are. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are relevant. Some of them are, it's just to lead up into the, the great question and the great answer we'll find in this chapter. Here's a question. Who would you want to trade lives with? You don't have to answer. If you were given the chance to steal something, what would it be? What a question. If you're given a chance to make your one wish come true, what would it be? Do you believe in heaven? A question. If you could have lunch with one person from history, who would it be? That's a good question. Who would your person be to have lunch with from history? I'm curious. Charles Spurgeon. Oh boy, that'd be something. Hope you like cigar smoke. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon. For a little while. <laughs> That'll be a good person to have a lunch with. Oh, boy, you can learn so much from him. Good question there. What is the most stupid thing you've done in your entire life? My question, that question is just one stupid thing. I think I've done more than one stupid thing. Do you think life after death is really possible? If you were given a chance to travel back into the past, where would you go? Good question. What do you hate about me? What three things would you want with you if you were stranded on a desert island? I want Nancy Pelosi with me, Chuck Schumer with me. I want, no, I would not. Do you want to have a cat as a companion or do you want to be a cat instead? That's dumb. Cat, you want to be a cat? No, dog, yes, not cat. Who are you? This is, uh, who are you? Uh, what are you most grateful for? That's a good question. 
What are the most important things to you in life? Mm -hmm. If you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? You know what I would do with it? Buy gas. <laughs> How will the war with Russia and Ukraine end? Why is Brittany Griner in jail? Why isn't Fauci in jail? Why is not Hunter Biden in jail? Those three are my questions. <laughs> well, those are questions that are pretty not worth anything. Here's a question in Acts 16 that's a really important question that people should be asking themselves. But they don't ask this question anymore. But one man asked a very important question in Acts chapter 16. We'll come to that in just a second. But I want you to see that in Acts chapter 16, this is when Paul has already begun his second missionary trip. Now, Paul made three missionary trips. Some say he made four, perhaps, but I think I see three missionary trips of Paul. Church planting, evangelization, reaching the lost, discipling them, starting local churches for them to grow in and reaching out in their communities. Three missionary trips. This is the second one. This second missionary trip would be very exciting to say the least, and it would be where the gospel continues to be preached to the whole world, the known world. And in chapter 15, it begins there. Let me just summarize for you, because we will confine our uh, the, the scriptures to Acts 16, but I want to bring up to the, the context of what is going on here and how it got to that place. But in chapter 15, uh, Paul would begin, after a short respite, his second missionary trip. He told Barnabas, his partner, I wonder how the churches are doing that we planted. I wonder how Brother so-and-so is doing. You know, I haven't heard from him. I haven't got a letter from him. I haven't got a text message from him. I haven't got an email from him. I wonder how they're doing. Now, you look at me as if that's what really happened. The only thing that really happened was he's wondering what happened and how they're doing. The text message, the, all this stuff is, is not real. I'm just wondering where you are. Francis, I'm not sure where I am. But there was no reaction from when I said, text me, no. That was just to modernize something that is not modern. But you understand the point. Well, would you please let me know that you understand the point by at least blinking or, I mean, am I talking to a bunch of corpses here? <laughs> am I in a morgue or something? That Well, so he wants to visit uh, the the churches and the people, and Barnabas says, that's a good idea. Hey, can I bring John Mark with me? Paul says, John Mark? Why would you want to bring John Mark with us? Yeah, John Mark, he's young, he's got zeal, he can be a good help desk, he can carry our duffel bags, carry your canvas and all these kind of things, your tools. You remember what he did to us the last time? That guy is not dependable. I can't depend on John Mark. I don't want you to bring him with us. We'll go with somebody else, but not John Mark. Barnabas says, but Barnabas is a peacemaker. Yeah. Barnabas says, oh, come on, Paul. Give the young man a chance. He's not mature yet, but he's learning. He can learn. I see some marks of growing in him. Paul says, you know what? I ain't got time for this kind of stuff. I ain't got time to, for these, to keep chasing after these young people. We're going to go. Now, I don't want him to come. Come on, Paul. Paul says, no. My answer is no. We're not taking John Mark with us. Not again. I don't want him to let us down again. Barnabas says, come on, Paul. Have a heart. Give the guy a break. Where's your grace that you talk so much about? Paul says, I ain't got no grace. 
We're going to go without him. Barnabas, calm, patient, fence, fence builder. Uh, uh, Barnabas says, well, you know, I wish you wouldn't feel that way. Paul says, that's how I feel about it. And I ain't going to change my mind. Now, if you're going to come with me, come with me. But don't bring that kid with us. And you know what happened was the contention in Acts 13, the Bible says the contention was so sharp between them, they had a split, had a Baptist split. Paul says, okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. You stay, do what you want to do. And Barnabas says, well, that's what you want. That's what I want. Well, that's what you really want. That's what I really want. I told you already. Go. And so he took John Mark with them, and they went that way. And then the brethren said, uh, Paul, um, you know, there's another guy here that's pretty good. If you need a companion to go with you on your trip, we recommend Silas. And they say, we highly recommend him. He's got character. He's got experience. He's a mature man. He'd be a good help. He'd be a good right-hand man. All right? And so Paul is going to their second missionary trip. That's what's going on. The travel. In chapter 16, verse number 16. Come over here with me now. Chapter 16, verse number 16. I am working my way to the important question and the important answer. Background is needed. We're working up to the town of Philippi. But before we get to Philippi, chapter 16 of Acts, verse number 16. 16, 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Now here's a demon-possessed woman telling the truth. Isn't that unusual? The unclean spirit knows who Paul and Silas are. The unclean spirits know who Jesus Christ is. Amen. The unclean spirits know that they preach the truth. Amen. Never forget that. Just because some fortune teller tells the truth does not mean it's of God or they have supernatural contact with the Lord. It could be demonic. Yeah. Don't be taken by that. Verse number 18. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains were gone, was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And that's that's true. They were teaching things, they were preaching the gospel, which is not common to the Romans. They had their pagan gods that they worship, and they're Jews, which is not really the issue here, but they're almost like saying they're bringing in Jewish religion in our town. We don't need that. We haven't heard that before. What they're really objecting to is that they're preaching the gospel. They're objecting to that. Now watch carefully, verse number 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, what you have so far, before they get to Philippi, where we are going, they come to this town, 
and there's a woman that can tell the future and she's not on her own. She's being handled by some men on the side. There's a modern way of explaining this, but she is handled by these men. These men are benefiting from her telling the truth because they're paying this woman for advice or tell me my future, tell me my future. How much do you want? $5, $10, okay? And so she's talking all this in her bag and after the day's done, she's going back to her masters and they're getting all this profit from her. They make a lot of money. Now, that's what's going on. So, she's following Paul and Silas, and she tells the truth about who they are, what they're doing, and then Paul confronts her, and he says to that unclean spirit, get out of her, and it does. Now, she stops what she's doing, which means when people come to her, maybe repeat customers, she can't give them any advice for the future. Oh, She's got a sign out of business under new management. Hey, that's a good one. <laughs> under new management. And so uh, her manager, her handlers are really mad because they're not getting any of that money. So you know what they do to get back at Paul and Silas? They trump up the charges and they go and tell the city council and tell them what they're doing that's so wrong, so illegal, so against the law. And it, it, it appeals to them from their viewpoint and they say, yeah, he can't come in here. Who do these people think they are riding into town telling all these things? Who do they think they are? There are some rules and laws for us to obey. Everybody's got to obey them, even these people. And so they're so upset. These men, these handlers, get the, the city council so upset, they beat them before they throw them in jail. Now, follow me into the jail. They're thrown in jail. I mean, not, not led to jail, not pushed in jail, but thrown into the jail rough Paul lands on his shoulder and he crumples over and he sits up against the wall Silas he gets thrown in he goes straight eagle and he does a face plant on the ground and he's all he's all hurt he sits up eventually against that and then they're put in stocks look at verse number 24 the jailer was kept uh, the jailer has a responsibility to keep them safely there. No escape. Verse 24. Who having received his, such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Can you imagine what they look like? Now, the hours go by. Imagine with me. The hours go by. Four o'clock, five o'clock. They come out with a little bit of water. And then a piece of uh, dried toast from the other day. And that's all they have. And then 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, it's getting dark. 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. By 8 o'clock, they've been talking likely. But by 8 o'clock, can you imagine them? Silas says this. You know, Paul. He says, oh, it hurts to talk. You know, Paul. He says, man, I can't even look straight. My, my vision is so blurred. I can't even, it hurts to even look at you, Paul. Oh, my head. Oh, I got a lump will be the size of a golf ball. Oh, oh, it hurts to lift my arm. Oh, Paul, I am so sore. Oh, and my shirt is, is sticking to the dry blood on my back. Oh, Paul, you know, Paul, if I hadn't come with you, this would never have happened. Let's just imagine. And Paul groans and says, what are you complaining about? I'm just as beat up as you are. My ankle, they hit me on, with baseball bats on my ankles. They hit my shin bone. Both my legs are so sore, swollen. 
and then they, they punched me in my face several times. I'm so bruised I can't look. I look Chinese. I'm, I can't even see out of my eyes. Chinese. Or Japanese. <laughs> or Korean. You know, if you have a Japanese, Chinese, and Korean lined up together, you're not going to tell the Chinese. The better looking. <laughs> Actually, grammatically, the best looking. You think I'm kidding? <laughs> my eyes are sore too. Oh, oh, my wrist. I think I, I, they broke my wrist. I think when they threw me against the barrier, I, I landed up. Oh, I am so sore. You get an ibuprofen? I got nothing. Thanks to you, Paul. Paul says, hey, listen. I didn't make you come with me. You came voluntarily. Paul says, Lord, what are we doing here? Is that what Paul said? Silas said, you know something, Paul? If I had this day to do over again, I would never have come with you. I would have stayed back with the other group. I had a good time over there. Everything was comfortable. No harassment, no physical abuse. No verbal abuse. Everything was great. Now I was serving God. Everything was peaceful and kind. Everything was good. But now look at me. Now look at me. Look at where I am. Look at where we are. Now those two Christian men did not do that. You know why they didn't do that? They were not what I would call Laodicean Christians. They were not wishy-washy. Uh, everything's going to come my way if I serve the Lord kind of Christians. They weren't like that. They were first century New Testament, zealous, serious men serving God, come what may, they would not stop serving God. That's the attitude that they have. Far different from 2022 type of Christians. Now, have you ever had a bad day? I think we've all had bad days. Turn the car on, didn't start. Now, can you imagine if you had an electric car? Now, I don't know if you have one or not. Turn the electric car, it doesn't start. What's going to happen? It's a little bit different how you take care of things within a, a regular car. With an electric car, batteries cost a lot of money. The vehicle, you gotta take it down to the dealership to get it served. All these kind of different things come with it. Just to save a little bit on gas. Combustible engines, pretty dependable, but even then, it doesn't start up. That starts your day off bad. Then you finally get to work two hours late. Then you get chewed out by your boss. They won't accept your reasons why you're late. Couldn't help you, didn't know, didn't expect this, and your day goes bad. People complain against your work and your quality of work, and they accuse you and they they blame you for something that wasn't your fault. Your day is just going from bad to worse. Same song, second verse. Could get better, but it's getting worse. Then by the afternoon, you're about to pull your hair out. And you come home, you're just grouchy, 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 and you come home. And you kick the cat. You don't kick the dog, but you kick the cat. <laughs> and you bark at your wife. Hi, honey, welcome home. Yeah, right. Had a bad day? Don't talk to me. Not, whatever you don't talk to me, okay? Dinner's ready. I don't feel like eating. You're just an old toad. You've had a bad day. Everybody gets bad days once in a while. You think they had a bad day? Oh, they had a horrible day. They had a horrible day. Uh, they're beat up. They were striped. They were whipped. They had a bad day. And sometimes we have bad days, but not that bad kind of a day. You haven't had a bad day like Job had a bad day, have you? Maybe you paid too much for gas. Maybe you paid too much in this product, that product, and so on. Maybe something, maybe something happened to something material, and you, you're upset about something. Okay, maybe your glasses fell off 
and uh, broken. One of one of the lenses come out. That's the irritating thing. You know, it irritates me when when kids come and touch things not theirs at my office at home. You know, my kids, my kids, my grandkids, they have almost um, free range to come upstairs. They have to knock before they come upstairs. And then when they come into my office, they have to stand there and they have to ask if they can come in. Sometimes they take advantage and just walk right in. As if they own the place. So I'm sitting at my desk, I turn at them, I said, and then they stop. Worst of all, they come up, look on my shoulder. They come right in, I'm sitting over here, they look up my shoulder. I hate that. I hate when they look over my shoulder. None of your biswax. <laughs> but the kids do that. And then the smaller, the smaller kids, they're really hard to reject. But um, Benjamin comes up, crawls up the stairs, not supposed to, crawls up the stairs, comes to the gate, open the gate, he's like this. <laughs> Benjamin comes up to me, walks up to me, looks up at me, and he wants to come on my lap. Because once I let him come on my lap and I showed him some pictures of birds or something, ever since then, oh, he's been hooked. He wants to take over my computer. Hard to say no. Brother kids, out of here, you bum. <laughs> that begins to irritate me. Those kind of interruptions irritate me. And I'm thinking, why are you irritated, you grumpy old grandpa? Here you are sitting in a very comfortable space in your own office, nice beers coming through the jealousies. Everything's fine. You've had your coffee, your wife has gotten you your breakfast, everything is good. Uh, there's nothing unusual going on. There's no tragedy outside. Nothing is, the car starts every morning, it runs fine. Uh, there's no earthquake. There's no tsunami. Uh, there's no leak in the roof. What are you fussing about? And you know, sometimes I feel kind of, kind of like a real poor Christian because the smallest things irritate me. It gives me a bad day. And sometimes I'll take it out of my life. I know you've never done that. And then she'll say, first she'll look, and then she'll say, she'll, what happened? Nothing happened. And I'll say something like, those, those kids. And she'll say something really, Illogical, honey. Remember, they're just kids. No, they're not. He's two years old. <laughs> He's not a kid. <clears throat> yeah, no better. You know, and then you know, Ethan. Ethan, I think he talks really loud. He talks loud downstairs. You can hear him. He comes up. Come. He comes up. Hi, Grandpa. Not like soft. He said it's like way up there. Hi, Grandpa. And and then when he's playing over there in the other side of the house, I can hear him and I come out and say, Ethan, shh. And he'll say, and he'll talk a lot. Now, he has to he has to hear himself, I think, but I try to get him toned down, like three quarters toned down, and I whisper to him. Now, when I do stuff like that, those small things, it gives me a bad day. It, aren't I silly? Those little things bother me. Well, that's nothing compared to what they went through on that day and that night. What a pathetic Christian I am to complain about things that make me irritated. And so would you be a pathetic Christian if you let small things irritate you. When in context and in perspective, this is what should irritate you. 
But these two men were not irritated. Look at what they're doing. After they've been beaten, after they've been uh, whipped. Look at what they're doing here. Chapter 16. And come down to verse number 25. 16:25. Look at the verse with me. At midnight, a whole day has passed. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. I don't know if I'd be praying. If I was praying, I'd be praying for the death of the people that beat me up. Wouldn't you? Now, don't look at me with this pious look and say, I would never pray. I wouldn't pray for the death of my persecutor. You would really. I just look at you, I know what you would do. You'd pray for their car to blow up. You'd pray for their building to collide. You'd pray for their house to fall into a. a, a you, you'd pray for their death. Don't look at me and say, I would never pray for their demise. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. They weren't praying for the death of their persecutors and saying, Praises unto God. Oh, by the way, I need to tell you this before I try to expound verse 25. These men, the handlers of this woman, they conspired to get the whole town against them, not because they were concerned about laws being broken or traditions being broken. It was because they're losing money. Yeah. Doesn't the Bible say the love of money is the root of all evil? Yes. Do you know if you follow the money trail, you come to the reason why Things are done in politics and in life. It's for the money. Follow the money trail. If it's confusing, there's a buck behind it. If you can't understand this policy, there's money behind it. Let's simplify things. People are just like those men that were handling this woman. Money is the issue. It always was and it always will be the issue. Sorry, but money is the driving force for many of people's Many of political corruption and moral corruption, greed, is all about the money. Well, in verse number 25, the reaction of Paul and Silas is so Christian, so unlike Laodicean Christianity. Midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. So I think, as we imagine very quickly, what went on, they're sitting there in stocks, their, their, their ankles are between these little holes in this a uh, piece of a uh, two by two by ten, and uh, they can't move anywhere. They're so uncomfortable. This they're getting cramps, and they're they're praying to God. I don't know what they were praying. What do you think they were praying? Maybe they were praying. Now doesn't Paul say, "In all things give thanks"? Yeah. Didn't he say, uh, "Prayer without ceasing"? Didn't Paul write this good verse one about prayer? Didn't Jesus talk about praying too? Maybe they were praying, "Lord, I don't understand why we got beat up." And it's really, I don't know, but. Lord, use this for your glory. I don't know what they were praying, but maybe something like that. How would you pray when you go through something you don't understand? Do you pray a, a prayer of resignation? Do you pray a prayer of um, revenge? They, they weren't doing that. You never get a hint of them saying, oh, okay, this is not worth it. Following Jesus Christ is the, is the dumps. They didn't talk like that. There's no hint like that. Be careful because some of us, if nothing goes our way, if a prayer to isn't answered because you know you're too impatient or because it's only been two days and God didn't answer your prayer, you're gonna quit praying. You be careful of that attitude. Yeah. Be careful that you don't give up on the Lord because things don't go away so quickly. Yeah. You pray for that job didn't happen. You pray for that promotion didn't happen. You pray for this didn't happen. You you pray that uh, God will give you direction. It's not so clear after even a month. 
you're thinking, what's going on? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm hitting brass above me. It's like it's bouncing back. I get no response. And you get all upset with God. You pray for this person to get saved. He ain't got saved yet. You pray for this sister, this daughter, this child that's wayward. You want him to come back to the Lord. It ain't happened yet. It's even worse now. And you say, Lord, what good is it for me to pray? Ever since I started going to church, things have gone bad. That's how you take things. And sometimes it goes like that. But it's not because you started going to church. Ever since you started praying, things went downhill. But it's not because you started praying. Well, ever since I started to read my Bible, I've been so confused about this, that, and other thing. It's not because you've been reading your Bible. Do you understand how deceived, how deceptive the devil can be to make you think the wrong things about doing the right things? Now look up over here. Do not let the devil or your flesh or the world get you to turn from doing the right things. Amen. As I talked earlier about sometimes I feel like going to church. I'll bet sometimes you don't feel like going to church, but you make the effort. You make the effort. And when you come to church reluctantly, you have all kinds of reasons why you think you should not come to church. Didn't get enough sleep last night. Haven't had my breakfast. I got to stop McDonald's. Spend money for that. I'm not in the right mood. I'm not a spiritual frame of mind. I'm also go home. I don't want to be a hypocrite going to come to church. I don't feel like going to church, so I won't be a hypocrite. I just go back home. You turn around. You get the temptation. Yeah. And then you come to church, and someone smiles at you, and you're thinking, "What is he after?" <laughs> she smiles at you, and you're thinking, "She's a hypocrite." She's not really happy because you're not happy. All these kind of thoughts come into your mind, don't they? Yeah. I mean, really, if you lived a long time, these things happen to you. And you're a Christian. Yeah. And you sometimes just don't feel like God is close to you. And so what do you do? I give up. This ain't worth it. I've been a Christian for 25 years. And what has it got me? As if being a Christian is supposed to get you anything. Hmm? Right. Yeah. As if because you are, are, are Christian, it's supposed to give you something? Well, look, God gave you something. Forgiveness of sins. He gave you a home in heaven. He gave you the access to pray to Him. He gave you a lot of things. But you don't have the material things that you think you ought to have because you've seen too much Christian television. And you think, well, I ain't got what they say i got to have. And so you get all discouraged. You know the biggest thing that can happen to Christians that throws them off the track is being discouraged? The big D, discouragement. That's perhaps the devil's biggest and most effective tool is discouragement. Discouragement. You reach into your toolbox, and here is a hammer, the hammer of discouragement. And boy, is it effective. It just beats at you, it just beats on you. It just pounds you down like driving a nail. It just, you see, the Lord's not faithful. You see, His promise is not true. You see, can you really depend on God? You see, no one likes you. Yeah, you, you, you're trying your best, but look, what's what's it got you? You're still poor. You still make minimum wage. Look at that. You still, you still, you still, and pretty soon you get driven and driven and pounded and pounded and pounded, and pretty soon you say to yourself, you know what? I don't need to read my Bible. You know what? I don't need to pray. You know what? I don't need to go to church. It doesn't do me any good. That's how you think. Yeah. 
because the hammer has been pounding on you and pounding on you and pretty soon you're totally flat discouraged. Yeah. The nail has been driven so deep, it's gonna be really difficult to have any kind of optimism, any kind of desire to, to live for the Lord. These men did not think that. You should learn from them. That's a reason you have these Bible examples to learn from their examples right. and not be like how you want to respond to a bad day, but learn how to respond to how they responded to a bad day. Yeah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is 2022. We are modern Christians. We are not the same type as first century Christians. We're not. We can never be. We can be better Christians in enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hey. You cannot be... I mean, a good soldier to me is like a, a Marine. Okay? A Marine. A soft soldier be someone to me like in the Air Force. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there's standard jokes about those kind of things, you know. But, you know, a, a good soldier, if you think about being a good soldier, boy, do they go through things that is just unbelievably hard, unbelievably uncomfortable. I can't imagine what they were like in Vietnam, those men in Vietnam, mostly men, mostly men, sorry, mostly men were in Vietnam, walked through the rice paddies, had to go through those villages trying to figure out which guy was a VC or not, which boy didn't have a bomb strapped to him, have a grenade in his hand. It's such a stressful, stressful, high anxiety, day-by-day -day situation in Vietnam. I can't imagine what it's like. But days and days without a good hot shower, days and days of eating sea rash, days and days, hardship, hardship, hardship. They didn't complain about it. You know who complained? The college students back home complained about the war. How unjust it was like in every war these college professors brainwashing college students and the impression of college students and thinking those guys went over there they shouldn't have done that shame on them when they came back they got egged they got booed they got harassed shame on those college students and professors who taught them that right. these men came back some of them didn't come back but right. those who came back were wounded emotionally besides physically and they lived the rest of their life with all kinds of bad memories and yeah. nightmares my father-in-law was like that Sometimes he would get up, just bolt straight up because he heard something. All these flashbacks, PTSD, didn't know what it was back then. And my father-in-law had some really hard time after after he came out. In normal course of life, something would just trigger something that happened in Vietnam. I believe, even though he didn't talk much about it, he would always change the subject. But I believe he had to use his handgun to protect himself on heavy equipment. He doesn't talk about it, though. He just says enough and then he changes the subject. I want you to know that that's enduring hardship as a good soldier. Translate that to the Christian life. Paul calls us soldiers on purpose. He didn't say that we are parade soldiers. We are soldiers yes. on the front yeah. where we have to endure cold and, yeah. and heat and deprivation and, and uncomfortable situations and uh, always on guard. And here we are in the comfort of church. We're gonna go to our comfortable cars and we're done. We're gonna drive somewhere in comfort on the nice, mostly nice to pave road. And uh, you will get home to a comfortable place and you will turn on your TV, you're gonna watch this, you're gonna watch that, you're gonna get your lunch, you're gonna do what you're gonna do. No one is bothering you. No one's harassing you. And then some of you may have to go to work and some of you have to 
go to bed early enough for the next day of early work and so on, and you're fussing about that. You're whining, complaining about what you gotta do tomorrow at work, and you're you're thinking about how horrible it's gonna be this week, and oh, what's the things you gotta do? Oh, woe is me! There they are in prison, praying and praising God. Unbelievable, unbelievable. I wasn't planning to say all those kind of things. I'm just thinking that perhaps we need to hear that because we want to guard ourselves from being soft. You know that Pillsbury Doughboy? <laughs> that soft. We get poked. We leave an indent, indention in our arm, like that. <laughs> we don't want to get soft. We want to be able to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I've never been in the military. I came close to being drafted in the 70s, early 70s. Went down to Fort Teresa across from Halakoa, Brother Eddie, and took some tests, and I failed. I don't know why I failed. They never told me. But never got to go to Vietnam. I wasn't disappointed, only because of the shower factor. I got to have hot water for a hot shower. Other than that, I mean, I would endure anything except that. And so I was glad I didn't get to go. But I wouldn't make a good soldier. I'd be crying too much, longing for the comforts of my own bed, and eating what I want to eat when I want to eat. You know, go to the refrigerator when I want to get a snack or a cold water. You see, I would, I would really suffer if I didn't have those comforts. <laughs> Woe is me. These two men, gotta admire them. Yeah, gotta admire their trust and faith and confidence and determination to keep on, even though things aren't going so good. Let me tell you this, and I'll go to the next point because I'll, 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 I'll park you too long. Let me tell you something. We don't know how long things are going to go on with this economy. There's denial of a recession. Other people are saying, are you blind? Whatever it turns out to be, however long it is, you're going to have to just keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Nice. Yeah. The author and finisher of our faith. Right. You're going to have to not look around you all the time. You need to look up once in a while. Man. Look up to Jesus Christ. Amen. You need to resist the temptation to not be faithful to God just because things around us are not so great. Everybody faced that temptation. But perhaps it's a test for us as a soldiers, uh, soldiers to see if we will be faithful and still do the century work and so on. So let me go to the next thing that we see. Because I'm still working up to the most important question. Okay? I haven't gotten there yet. Now, I was going to say, Paul said to Silas, I'm so beat up. This isn't much fun. I'm going to add this to the Bible. Okay? Adding to the scriptures. Paul maybe said to Silas, Silas, this is not much fun getting beaten. It was more fun when I did the beating. You follow me? Yeah. There's more from when I did the beating, but now I see how hard it was for them Christians when I beat them. Maybe the Lord's reminding him about what it used to be like for yeah, him and for sure Christians. Well, they're singing, they're in pain, they weren't shouting, get me out of here. They were singing out loud, so the whole cell block heard them sing. It echoed down through the corridors of that prison. Look at verse 26 and 27. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, 
and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep. So he didn't hear the singing, didn't hear the praying. And seeing the prisoners open, realized that, uh-oh, the prisoners of my guard are escaped. I'm done. I'm, I'm dead. So he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. So he drew out his sword, put it on his throat. He got on one knee, put it right over here. And he's going to just fall to his sword. And then, and then Paul, seeing that, verse number 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, we're all here. It's a good thing Paul was not passive. It's a good thing Paul was not just, well, if it's God's will that he kill himself, it's God's will to kill himself. It's a good thing he didn't just believe in the sovereignty of God and say, well, if he kills himself, that it was meant to be. He didn't think that. He saw a man who was going to kill himself because of an assumption. He assumed they're all gone. I'm going to kill myself. <coughs> he was going to kill himself on an assumption. Paul realized what's going on. He's the Lord. He says, hey man, don't. We're all here. No one's escaped. Stop. I'm glad that Paul had some assertiveness about him. And that didn't just let the man kill himself. There's a lesson here for us Christians. Sometimes we are so passive. Sometimes we're so, so laid back. We think something's going to happen. We have really believed something's going to happen. And we let, we let it happen because, well, it's up to them. I told them before. I told them last year not to do that. Not, I told them not to get that loan. I told them not to buy that. I told them it's up to him. No. We're passive. Whereas we could be a little more assertive and say, you know what? I told you before. But look, one more time. I've got to tell you this because I see what's going to happen. You don't want to do that. This just came to my head. I had a conversation with somebody in Texas. East Texas near Waco. This person, I knew the father. The father's in heaven. This person now has a 20-year-old girl. When, when they left Hawaii, the baby was just born. Now the girl's 20 years old, living with the biological father in Arkansas. The mother's there. Somehow they went to something, sermon audio, and got a hold of a message. Oh, I think I know that man. And so she sent a message through sermon audio. And we got, I got, I responded to that and and then we communicated by telephone. And here's the story that relates to what I'm trying to tell you. They needed a car. They have a place that they're renting. He works in Waco, drives 40, uh, he, he drives 45 minutes from the little town to Waco in their car. We're talking about different problems, different solutions, some ideas, and I begin to ask some questions. You learn about things by asking questions. I asked, well, um, how much do you buy, pay, pay for the car? Or how much you pay for the car? They first said, well, we were praying for a car. God didn't give us the car. And then went to a dealership. And then they said no until we drove home. And then they called us and said, oh, come back. We got a car for you. The car that they got for them, but the dealer, a good deal, they said, to her, he was not involved. She was involved. Eve was involved, not Adam, okay? And so she did it on her own. And she turned around to the dealership. The dealership said to, to, to her, we have a car just for you. First they said, we don't have any car to meet your budget. We have a car just for you. They found a car just for her. They said, do you care how the car looks? She said, no, as long as it runs. Well, this car runs. Second question, does the AC work in Texas? They said the AC works great. Took it for a test drive. 
She signed for the car. You know how much that car cost them? Hail damage on the car. Hail damage on the car. 2018, hail damage on the car. Sedan. But it runs. AC works. Hail damage on the car. She said, I got a good deal. You know, she said, I asked her, well, you mind if I ask how much you pay for that car every month? For a hail damaged car, 2018. The guy said this is good. She was on her own. I don't know where her husband was. I'm sure the husband would have talked her out of it. I said, well, because she's talking about moving closer to Waco. She said she can't stand this town because there's no grocery stores here, which is hard to believe. The town that she's in has no grocery stores. It has an elementary school, but no grocery stores. I find it hard to believe. Bad, bad thinking, yes? Watch this. I asked, how much is her rent? I said, you're paying twice as much for your car as you used for your rent. I said, not a good deal over here. Now, had I had a chance to talk with her before they bought the car, I would have tried to talk her out of it. You know why? I'd be raising my voice. You know why? I would say, do thyself no harm. Don't buy that car. Incredible. This is to say, when you and I have an opportunity to help someone, and you're very sure that what they're about to do is wrong, don't be passive and, and wimpy and say, well, you know, they, they said they're going to do it anyway. They, their mind is made up. But couldn't you at least assert a little bit of, of oomph, 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 to prevent that from happening? I am sick when people waste money. It makes me sick when people waste money. It makes me sick when people buy something that they didn't have to buy or they could have bought for half the price. It makes me sick when I could have had a chance to steer them in the other direction. Now, I know people don't always listen. I know that. I'm just saying, don't be so easily persuaded to give up when you can help somebody. Amen. You know what you're afraid of? You're afraid they won't like you because you're saying, no, don't do that. You're afraid they might, uh, you might, they might unfriend you. <laughs> you know what? Later on, they'll say, you know what? Thank you for telling me that. Sometimes the truth is hurtful, isn't it? Dick Cheney, former VP, was George W. Bush. One time, uh, I think there was an assassination attempt. And who is with VPs and presidents? Secret Service. Secret Service grabbed him, grabbed him by the shoulders, by his coat, and just pulled him this way. Usually they would say, Mr. Vice President, come with us, very calmly. They just grabbed him and jerked him like this and said, we got to go here. And they literally almost had to carry him. And he was like twitching down the hallway because they were lifting him, Secret Service. He said, boy, that really hurt me. I think I twisted something. He said, but they did what they had to do. He said, I got no problem with that because they're doing their job protecting my life. You know, sometimes you got to be like that too. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. You're going to regret it. You're going to live to regret that decision. Don't do that. At least we can do that sometimes. But we know we make our own choices. Here is a man about to kill himself. And Paul raises his voice saying, no, stop. Don't you know later on that night, his wife and his kids were glad that Paul raised his voice? Don't you know that they were happy? Somebody shouted at him. 
Hey, you don't shout at me. Don't you know who I am? Hey, man, don't do that. We're all here. Really? Really? You all here? And all, all the prisoners stuck their heads out like this. And they say, we're here. Like a tree full of owls. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. We're here. We had to go in there. Don't kill yourself. Not necessary. Rome's not going to kill you because we're all here. You did your job. We're here. Don't kill yourself. Oh, what a relief he felt. Now look at the next verse. We're coming up to the important question. Verse 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and says, Here's the question. And brought them out and said, Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. Yeah. What must I do to be saved? The miracle of the earthquake, the miracle that no jailbird fled, flew away. <laughs> jailbird flew away. <laughs> I'm on an unroll today. <laughs> Those two things impressed the man so much he must have felt something's going on. Something is going on. And so he said, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. Uh, people are asking today other kinds of questions that are not that important. People should ask this question. What must I do to be saved? What must... What must I do to be saved? What must I do? Uh, logically, his question reflects a religious man, a moral man. There's something I must do to be saved for sure. I must do certain things. I must have a ritual to do. I must have a tradition to uphold and to keep and to begin. I must stop doing some things. I must start doing some good things. There's something I've got to do, don't you see, for me to get saved. For me to go to heaven, I must do some things. That's how people think. What must I do? What must I do? You know what the answer is? The answer is given right here. Paul says, what must I do to be saved? Relax, 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 relax. Uh, come, let me tell you. Arp, come, Arp. Come. Arp did not know I'm going to make him a star. He's a, he's a Philippian jailer. Come here, Philippian jailer. Filipino jailer. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good right there. Filipino jailer. Filipino. Filipino. <laughs> He's just asking, what must I do to be saved? I do this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe on him, you'll be saved. Just believe on him, okay? No works are involved. Just believe on him. That's what I told him. That's what Paul told the Philippine jailer. I gave him a straight answer. So simple, honest question. What must I do? Would you ask me again? What must on your knees? What must I do to be <laughs> on your knees? This is not a proposal. Don't get that idea. What must I do? What to must I do to be saved? All right, understand. Look, you don't have to do anything. Okay. <laughs> don't have to do anything, Mr. Jailer. Here's the answer. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> the answer. <laughs> Those eyes looking at me, I just couldn't do it. Francis, I'm sorry, I just, I just can't do it. But the great question deserved a great answer, which was, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What must I do to be saved? And believe. The answer is believe. believe. What must I do? He said believe. Believe. Yes. Now let me take a minute to explain this. Believe. Okay. Now we have we have people today who are good people that I believe mean well. That I believe they're trying to emphasize the seriousness of sin. Therefore, they don't want to cheapen the gospel by just simply saying believe on Christ. So they say you must really repent. this you must really you must really repent for them that means if you want to be saved you must prove your sincerity by really repenting of your sins okay now it does sound like it's it's good and I will not criticize someone who's trying to emphasize the Ten Commandments like Ray Comfort does to get a person to see his transgress he's broken God's laws therefore he needs to be forgiven like you need to be relieved of your sins against uh, 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 a society by breaking laws okay I understand and I appreciate what you're trying to do however if you have to repent of all of your sins I have some questions and you should have some questions well how many sins am I, must I confess and repent of what if I forget my sins will I be forgiven of all the sins I ask God to forgive me of and I, that I repent of that I know about let's say that you and I are witnessing to someone in their apartment they us to come in we talk to them and the person's living with someone who's not his wife. The guy's in fornication. And so if I take this approach, I would say, now, if you repent of your fornication, and you both separate and go your own ways and live separately, then you can be saved. What does that amount to? I'm imposing upon this man who wants to be saved and forgiven of his sins. I'm first saying, now, before you get saved, you must, you must live separately. Are you willing to live separately? What if the guy says no? Does that mean he cannot get saved? What if the guy's doing drugs and open the door and it's like Kilauiki? Smoke comes out. I witness to the man, the guy's listening to me. I think it's under conviction. Me and my partner witnessing to him. We feel like this guy is ready to get saved. And then I say, Now, if you really don't want to get saved, you've got to repent of doing drugs. Are you willing to quit your drugs before you get saved or to get saved? You know what he's going to tell me? No, man. I ain't going to quit my drugs. Then we're going to come back with this idea. Wait a minute. How can he want to be saved if he's the one to quit his drugs? It could be any kind of vice. And if I impose upon him a condition, quit this, or at least are you willing to quit this to become saved, then I'm, I'm rethinking this over here. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, believe, not repent. Now look, what does repent mean? I need to, I need to get this I need to put another hammer pound on this thing. What does it mean to repent? By definition, the Lord repented, he made man. Did he have to repent of any sin? No. He changed his mind about man. He said, I'm sorry I made man. I wish he had made man. That's repentance, change of mind. Some people, when they repent, they just say they repent like Pharaoh, and they don't really repent because they continue doing wrong. But when people really repent, they want to do the right thing. They want to stop the wrong thing. That's the fruit of repentance. Now, when he said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe. He was not omitting repentance. But when they said believe, it was like saying, okay, whatever you're trusting for your salvation, stop trusting that. Now turn, put your faith in Jesus Christ instead. Believe on Christ instead. And so when I was praying to Buddha, 
now I hear the gospel. I'm going to turn from praying to Buddha. I'm going to pray to Jesus for him to save me now. I have turned from this to this. When I got saved back in 1970, I, I never thought about repenting of any kind of sin that I was involved in. I just knew that I, without Jesus Christ, I'm going to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven instead. I was under conviction. I was told to pray a prayer. I prayed a prayer that I knew to pray. But you know what the difference was? There was no magic in the praying of the words, but God knew my heart. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Nice. Believes unto righteousness. Romans 10, 9. So my heart wanted to be, God knew my heart. And so I followed this soul winner who led me to Christ, prayed this prayer. I prayed the, the words. It wasn't the words that saved me. It was God knew my heart, and I'm reaching out to him and believing on him to save me when I asked him to. That's what I believed in. He said he would save me. If I asked him, I'm asking you, Lord, save me. And I believe that he would have, and he did. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I did that. I got saved. It's the heart. God knows our heart. Right. And God cleans us up after we get saved. Sure. That's what he does. Right. Most of you here, when you got saved, you probably did not repent of all of your sins. But you did turn from something that you were trusting to Jesus Christ and trusting him instead. Yeah. That's faith. And then the Lord, as you grew, you begin to knock some stuff off. And you begin to have a new desire, and you have a longing to follow Christ, a hunger for the Word, and God begin to change you from the inside out. That's the growing part, the discipling part, the changing part. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things, all things are past, but all things are become new. You're new in Christ, but on earth you're still the same old dog. But on the inside, you're changing because the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And all these Christian factors, you're changing. You're being more obedient. You're letting things go and you're picking up better habits and you're saying no to the world. You're saying yes to Christ and you're swapping and you're voluntarily giving in to what God says and you're changing. You're repenting of sins. Let's say you were fornicating and then you would, oh man, that's wrong. Hey, look, we gotta, we gotta break up, honey. I, we can't do this stuff. I'm sorry, but this is wrong. I'm a Christian, you know. And so, you know, you're, you're repenting. If it's the drugs, if it's any kind of thing that's wrong, you're repenting of that. God's giving you strength to overcome those things. And that's how that plays out. The great question, what must I do to be saved? The great, simple, honest answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Man. Now watch this. I, I, I'll end with this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou. This is important. Thou shalt be saved. If you believe in Christ, you'll be saved. So the thou tells me that it's an individual transaction between the sinner and God. Thou, you, you will be saved, Mr. Philippine Jailer. You will be saved. Thou shalt be saved. Now, later on, he goes to his house and he gives the gospel to the family. And they all believe and they all get baptized. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. They didn't get saved because he got saved. They got saved because each one believed like he believed. And they got saved. I hope you understand that. The father got saved. The wife got saved. Girl number one got saved. Boy number one got saved. Boy number two. How many? They all got saved individually. Thou shalt be saved. Christian parents, great. Christian home, you want to have great. You get the first child, your child's not saved until your child receives Christ himself. 
second, third, fourth, no matter how many, each one of them, they must be saved individually. They must believe in Christ individually. Not because you have Christian parents that they're automatically saved. Not that at all. They must be saved by receiving Christ themselves. Personally. Thou. Okay? What a great question. What a great answer. If someone asks you that question, be able to give them the answer. Are you not glad that God makes it easy for you to get saved? I'll end here. Sometimes in our desire to make it serious, not just say a word or two, just not pray a prayer to be saved. We make them jump through a spiritual gymnast, do some spiritual gymnastics to be saved. But uh, it's not like that at all. God didn't make it hard. Arp, can I bring again quickly, please? Okay. Ask me again that question right up here. Mr. Jalen, come, don't have to kneel this time. Come, come closer. Okay. Ask me again, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Well, let me see here. Let me make a list for you, okay? Number one, number two, number three, number four, etc. Now, if you fulfill these things, you'll be saved. That's not what he said to him. That's not what he told him. He gave him one word, believe. Now, whenever you add one, two, three, four, five, six, you have added to the gospel. Right. It's not that at all. Right. If a man, if a man is told, you got snake bit, you got snake bit, you got snake bit, you're going to die. But look, you see this pole? It's got a brazen serpent wrapped around it. If you look at this, you will live. You want to live? Yes. What do you do? I didn't say kiss it, smell it, polish it, nothing. I just said, look, Numbers 21. That's a picture of salvation by grace. Oh, no. What? You telling me that, that it's going to rain? Are you kidding me? No, no way. Can I come into the ark? Well, if you come to the ark, you'll be safe. The ark is a picture of Jesus Christ in the book of Genesis. So if you want to come in, if I said come into the ark, just come into the ark and you'll be all right. Come, come into the ark. Now we have in the ark, besides Noah and his three boys and his wife, we have now nine people saved. <laughs> because he walked in voluntarily. It would have happened like that had somebody believed Noah's preaching. Thank you, Ark. So you understand from this chapter, the most important question that someone can ask today is what must I do to be saved? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Your answer to that person biblically is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There's an explanation about the death of Christ on the cross. You have to explain that part. But once you explain that to them, and they want to receive Christ, go ahead, lead them to Christ. And, and then we'll leave the prison happy. All the inmates are still there. We go to his house, have a midnight snack, leftover pizza. Honey, I got something to tell you. I brought, who is this man in this house? This man, what's the matter with you, honey? He's a prisoner. What? You brought prisoners in here? Are you, are you crazy? He's got something to tell you. I'm sorry to barge in like this, but your husband has me to come. I'm gonna tell you what I told him. Oh, and she gets saved. And daughter and son get saved too. What a great night that was. You think they were tired that night? I don't think so. I think they were so happy because they both, they all found 
the answer to their question. You and I ought to be able to do that too, and we should. Wouldn't it be great if people today asked that question? Amen. It's even better if we, you and I are able to give the right answer. Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray for your help uh, for our church. May we never make the gospel, which is supposed to be simple. May we never make it confusing, difficult, like a maze, like a puzzle, like an IQ test, some religious thing to do. No, no list is involved. It's trust in Jesus Christ. It's believe in his finished work. It's receiving him. It's all the same thing. It's being born again. It's receiving the gift of God. It's all by faith. It's by simple faith that even a child can understand and believe. May we never complicate it, but keep it simple as it is intended. Help us, Father, to be able witnesses and help people to know the answer is very simple. I pray that you help people in our community to not be confused by the so many, so many different things that people are saying about salvation. May we make it clear and simple in the prisons or on the streets. We thank you, Father, for making the gospel plain and clear, unconfused, very blunt, very simple, because you do want people saved. You don't want people to go to the lake of fire. You made it simple because your son did all the necessary sacrifice and work and shed blood on our behalf. We can be saved by simple faith in Christ. Thank you for making it possible like that. When we get to heaven, we have only you to praise and glorify for our salvation. And I thank you, Father, for the liberty you give to us today to preach the word of God. Bless your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.